Heavenly Father, again, we thank you. We thank you we can be together today and be blessed by this fellowship, one with another and in the precious word of grace. We're so thankful, Father, for the word of grace. You've used it to transform our lives continually, really, even when we were not so well aware of it just beginning to be aware of it, and yet you used it to transform our lives then, and you certainly are doing so now, even more. So, Father, thank you for opening our hearts, removing the blindness that we might see and know that which is most precious, which has to do, of course, always with our risen Savior and his great love for us and his life that he has shared with us resurrection qualities in the life we have even now and more, much more later. So, Father, thank you for that. What a blessing to have the Lord Jesus dwelling in our hearts. Father, I pray for the pastors, all those that stand before believers to represent you and our Lord who speak from your word, I pray that they would be encouraged to do so, that they wouldn't be intimidated and fearful unnecessarily, but that they would be wise and strike the right balance there. And we pray that what has been occurring in other nations around the world might not be occurring here just outward persecution that's extremely great. Martyrdoms, abductions um, of many, Father. Just pray, Father, that uh, those who are in bondage might be released somehow soon. Pray for those still left behind in Afghanistan suspecting many missionaries would be in that group. I pray, Father, for our government that they would restrain themselves and not just seek to control in an ever greater and greater way our people, which always leads to evil. We see that on every front right now. I pray that uh, our people in this nation might be aware of what's really happening and turn against this government, rebel against it even. Um, Always peacefully, of course, but that they would show their disapproval in very many ways. And that it might make a difference. And I pray that those who have the truth would speak it boldly and continue to do so without them being silenced through fear or other concerns. And Father, I pray for ourselves here in this home with these various maladies. So please guide and lead us forward there. Please bless us now, Father, as we open your word. And I would ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right.
I'm a little slow. Don't be surprised. I've been a little slow for a while here. <clears throat> okay. Well, last time we finished up Paul's second letter to Timothy with the question, why should we follow Paul? And I gave six answers to that question, all of which should be well known and believed by us here. The first was, Christ spoke with him from heaven. That's certainly a reason. He spoke with Paul from heaven. And I'm not aware of him speaking with any others from heaven. Uh, I may be forgetting something, but I don't think so. So that's something really, truly significant. Christ spoke with him from heaven. First answer to the question, why should we follow Paul? And what did he speak with Christ? The very words which he shared with us in his letters, which he calls in 1 Timothy 6.3, the very words of Christ. So that's what he's doing. He's sharing the words of the Lord. Those are two reasons why we should follow Paul and going forward, if those are the words of Christ, then the teaching contained there must be our guide. Colossians 2 is all about that. We read through most of that chapter last time. And uh, I'm not going to reread it now, but you should go back there. Often, very, very important uh, teaching there that we must uh, hold dear. Teaching of Paul concerning what God is doing today, really. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's in chapter 1, but chapter 2 gives additional teaching regarding that. Okay. Other reasons why we should follow Paul. His life demonstrated abundant grace. And so he's, he does that the Lord's command, I believe, set himself up as our example of what it is to live under grace. And he writes much about that in 2 Corinthians 4 and 6. His chapters are mostly dedicated to that subject. He summarizes in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, where he writes, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Oh, praise the Lord, huh? And then he goes on in verse 11 to say, we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh, so then death worketh in us, in us, but life in you. And then in verse 15, for all things are for your sakes, 
that the abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, redound, redound to the glory of God. So should we follow Paul? I would say absolutely. He's our example of life under grace. So his sufferings are our example, and uh, if we don't pay attention to them and to that example of what can we expect in this life, right? We must follow Paul. We must imitate him. And then the last uh, answer to that question, why should we follow Paul, that I gave last time was that because his last will and testament leaves us no choice. And he wrote about it in very specific terms in a number of places, but we went to Philippians chapter 3. And I won't read that now, but Philippians 3, 17, I'll just read that one verse. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk as so as ye have us for an example. Oh, can I help reading the rest? For many walk, of whom I've told you often and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Notice how he states that, the enemies of the cross. So why should we follow Paul? Well, there are so many good reasons. Okay, let's leave that behind now and look at Titus, Paul's letter to Titus. <coughs> Excuse me. Our outline is simple. First of all, the author of the letter, Paul, apostle of Jesus Christ, God, our Savior. Interesting language there. Paul, Apostle of Jesus Christ, God our Savior. That's the author of this letter. And then the addressee on the letter is Titus, beloved son in the faith. Beloved son in the faith. And what he says to Titus basically is listen. Listen to your spiritual father, Titus. And then thirdly, the subject of the letter. It's made very clear in the first verses that we'll look at today. Titus is commanded to lead all the believers in Crete on the Mediterranean Isle of Crete. And what he says about that is continue what you've already been doing and don't let anything interfere. It's just that important. Okay, so first of all, the author of the letter, Paul, apostle of Jesus Christ and God, our Savior. Okay, so let's start out. Patty, I'd like you to read those verses for us. In Titus chapter <coughs> 1, verses 1 through 3. Paul, a servant of God, and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledge, acknowledging of the truth, 
which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. But hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God, our Savior. Thank you, honey. There's that amazing designation there of the Lord in verse 3 at the end there. God, our Savior. Paul especially uses this reference. It's used by Peter once. It's used by Jude once. It's used by Paul quite a few times in Titus and in 1 Timothy. Okay. Well, what I'd like to do is just take that kind of one phrase at a time and just say a couple of things about it quickly as we go along. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul calls himself a servant of God. Really, the word is the word bond slave. That word was used of slaves in the first century. So they had no power over their their lives, over their own bodies at all. Their masters were in charge. And Paul calls himself here a bond slave of God. <laughs> hmm. I'm not sure he ever refers to it that way elsewhere. Usually he calls himself a bond slave of Jesus Christ, here of God, and an apostle of Jesus Christ. So with apostolic authority, he writes the letter to, Tim, to Titus. Okay. Then he says, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. It's quite an amazing statement in certain ways. That election is mentioned in verse 1 of this letter sort of surprises me. In other words, it's really important to Paul to get that right out there on the table in reference to what? The truth, which is after godliness. That godliness is at the very center of God's eternal and redemptive plan. Hmm. Now, that's not all he's going to say about it. He also is going to say quite a bit more in the next verse. Uh, in verse 2, by quite a bit more, what I mean is, he's going to make this amazing, truly mind-opening, at least it should be mind-opening statement, in verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Oh, promised to who? And how would anyone know anything about it? Nobody was there. Well, angels were there and heard it. But doesn't that just cause your mind to kind of ratchet up about five different degrees, you know, into the heavenlies, right? So what Paul is saying here in the second verse of 
first chapter to Titus in this letter is that it's been revealed to him by the resurrected Christ from heaven, of course, because he wasn't there when Christ was on the on the earth. It's been revealed to him that there were promises made in eternity past, even before the ages were created. Isn't that amazing? Revealed to Paul. And what does it have to do with? The promise of eternal life. So even before the ages are created, and God had foreknowledge, of course, as to what would occur in the ages with rebellion and sin, right? Satan and then mankind, Adam and so forth. Uh, nevertheless, he made a promise then, before the creation, that eternal life would be the uh, ultimate objective, and God promises to work that all out someday. So, wow, that's amazing, isn't it? The next uh, section explains that. He says, but hath in these due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed to me. So, it was revealed to Paul, and it was his job to preach it everywhere he went. Okay? And when was this all going to take place? He says, in uh, due times, due times. Uh, what are the due times? This is a King James language, but... Uh, what it means is at the right time. So God had a plan. It kept a lot of things secret for many, many generations and through many dispensations. But eventually the time had come, it was right to reveal this to Paul. Now there are other unique times mentioned in Scripture, like concerning the giving over of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Who at the right time came into this world, right? In the fullness of times, right? So there are times when God intersects with this world in very dramatic ways. In this case, Paul is referring to the revelation that was given to him. And more than just a revelation, he was commanded, it says, the end of verse 3 there. According to the commandment of God, our Savior. So the Lord is called here God. It's a Trinitarian statement. But also that he commanded Paul to manifest this word through preaching. Okay, whoa. All of that's just in three verses. Isn't that the most amazing beginning of a letter? In fact, I can only think of one other letter that's as dramatic in its uh, initial words, and that is the letter to the Romans, the first four verses. But anyway, there are others that are pretty dramatic too, like First uh, uh, Timothy. But anyway, you can search that out on your own. Well, let's go on to our 
Next point, which is uh, who is the letter addressed to? It is addressed to Titus, Paul's beloved son in the faith. Now, who is Titus? Do we know anything about Titus from the book of Acts? When Paul writes of Timothy as his dear son in the faith, Timothy was his right-hand associate and help throughout his missionary journeys, right? And you can read about Timothy all over the place in the book of Acts. Titus is never mentioned in the book of Acts, even once. So to learn who Titus is, we have to go to Paul's letters. Because in Paul's letters, he refers to Titus 13 times. Over 20 times about Timothy, but very significantly, 13 times Paul mentions Titus's name in the book of Acts. And more often than that, he's referring to Titus just not by name, right? So that's what I want us to look at, and that's why I assigned all the readings today, that we can get a better understanding of who Titus was through Paul's writings. And I think as we do this, you'll find uh, your heart uh, blessed greatly from all, all of these really quite wonderful things that the Apostle Paul writes about Titus in other letters especially, even more than in the letter directly to Titus itself, okay? In fact, mostly in Second Corinthians. Because, as we'll see, when Paul wrote the letter to the Corinthians the second time, Titus is put right in the center of it all. He was very important minister to the Corinthians. Okay, so let's uh, read these. And uh, so, Anne, Anne, would you please read for us this next verse, Titus chapter 1, verse 4. To Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Thank you, Anne. Again, Paul refers to Titus as his own son in the faith, uh, just like he had with Timothy a number of times, right? And it's pre pretty significant. I mean, if you think about it, do you ever forget people who were greatly used by the Lord in ministering to you? No, but what, this is sort of the other side of that. This is not about Titus having the Apostle Paul held high in his own mind and heart, right? This is about Paul having Titus <laughs> in such a high place in his heart. And I think that's probably the most amazing thing in the beginning of the letter here. And in his other references to Titus, there's just, there's only one place where you could ever claim, and I think unjustifiably, that Paul is critical of Titus. We'll get to that as we go along here and look at, as we read all these verses. 
Okay, it's in the last letter, the second letter to Timothy. Okay, so thank you, Anne, for reading that. And now, uh, Tom, 2 Corinthians 2.13. And I have to unmute the mic, too. Yes. I had no rest in my spirit, because I found not Titus, my brother. But taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. Okay. So Paul is so closely bonded to Titus, he says here, that he didn't even have any rest in his spirit when he expected to be meeting up with Titus and Titus wasn't there. He was so disturbed by this, if you go on and read the rest of the verses, that he left, went to Macedonia. So uh, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? That the Apostle Paul would have so much confidence in Titus and uh, so much of a reliance upon his presence as much as in his ministry, right? That it was very disturbing to him that Titus wasn't there. Now, he does not directly criticize Titus here. I think there were other reasons why Titus didn't uh, arrive on schedule. Okay, so that's uh, that. Uh, Paul's close relationship with Titus is really a very close one and uh, important one indeed, right? Okay, going on now, there are three verses in chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians. So, Linda, verses 6, 13, and 14, when, when I call out for the others, but right now, 6, 7, 6. Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down comforted us by the coming of Titus. Okay, thank you, Linda. So, this is a great section on comfort. And the comfort that Paul is writing about is his own, verse 6, comforted us by the coming of Titus. But that's not all. There's a principle at work whereby God multiplies the work of grace from one to another in this case, multiplies the comfort one to another. So let's read about that in 2 Corinthians 7, 13, uh, Linda. Therefore we are comforted in your comfort, yea, and exceedingly the more joyed we for the joy of Titus, because his spirit was refreshed by you all. Oh, right. So Titus had gone to Corinth in due time, and uh, then had finally uh, come to Paul to report. And what Paul learned is that Titus was not only well received by the Corinthians, but he was uh, himself blessed with joy, with joy, because his spirit, it says here, was refreshed by you all. So, Comfort was multiplied over and over again. Now, the comfort 
they knew was from God, right? What a blessing. Okay, and then verse 14, Linda, please read that for us. For if I have boasted anything to him of you, of you, I am not ashamed. But as we spake all things to you in truth, even so our boasting, which I made before Titus, is found a truth. So there was a great question. Paul's writing a letter to the Corinthians again. It's really a letter of uh, criticism and judgment in a lot of ways. But he had boasted to Titus um, concerning the Corinthians. How could he do this, right? But he did. He had such confidence in God working in the Corinthian church that he made various statements and Titus found them to be true. And that's what that verse says. Isn't that amazing? Okay, well, let's go on to chapter 8. There are three verses in chapter, Patty. Three verses in chapter 8. First of all, verse 6. Insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Okay, so there was a, a certain... Um, thing that the Apostle Paul asked of the Corinthians and of others as he traveled, and that was to collect an offering. And this was not for him personally, usually, but but for others, for the poor saints and so forth. So he uh, had uh, asked Titus to collect that offering to finish the same grace. The grace is the... Uh, in this case, is the offering, the grace gift that they would give it from their hearts. Right? Read the context there of chapter 8, verse 6. It's most wonderful. Okay, now another verse. Uh, verse 16, Patty. But thanks be to God, which put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. So Paul loves the the Corinthians, and so does Titus. <laughs> what a wonderful thing. Uh, he had uh, the same earnest care in his heart for the Corinthians that Paul did, and so that's something to thank God for greatly, right? When the ministry is proceeding along like that, all should know it is the work of the Lord God, right? Okay, and now verse uh, 23, Patty. Whether any do inquire of Titus, he is my partner and fellow helper concerning you. Or our brethren be inquired of, they are the messengers of the churches and the glory of Christ. I love this one. I really do. Uh, so there were gainsayers. There were those that were criticizing Titus. There, you know, he had enemies in Corinth. Probably said Titus was collecting uh, gifts for his own personal gain, you know, or that he was going to take 10% off the top or something. I mean, who knows what they were saying. But Paul says, if anybody asks any questions about Titus, 
You just listen to me. He is my partner and fellow helper, co-worker concerning you. In fact, these that I've sent forth into the churches are the messengers of the churches. And then he adds these words, and the glory of Christ. Well, wow, such such words. I mean, I I don't think in our current uh, day believers write like this when they write missionary letters. Do they write like this? Uh, they should maybe take Paul more to heart, and uh, because these words mean something, they communicate truth, right? The glory of Christ. So Paul's confidence in Titus is exceedingly great. Even so great that he he calls uh, Titus and wants the Corinthians to accept him as the glory of Christ. My, my, my. Okay, let's go ahead a little farther. Tom, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 Verse 18. I desired Titus, and with him I sent a brother. Did Titus make a gain of you? Walked we not in the same spirit? Walked we not in the same steps? Thank you, Tom. That everything might be uh, properly managed regarding the, the giving and the uh, transmission of those gifts he sent with titus someone else okay to oversee that's a very good principle okay he sent someone else to oversee and so he says well what's what's the bottom line on this did titus make a, himself personally gained anything from you no because he's walking in the spirit in the footsteps of paul right that's what he says there. Isn't that wonderful? So no question about it. It's settled. Yeah, he wants the Corinthians. Even though there are false teachers in their midst that are causing trouble, he wants the children of God, the believers there in Corinth, to understand that Titus is walking in the same steps as the Apostle Paul. Okay, let's go on to Galatians. And Linda, uh, first of all, Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. Then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. Thank you, Linda. So how important was Titus to the Apostle Paul? He could have taken others. He had a lot of others with him, right? But he sent Titus. And Barnabas, who was a mainstay all along. But Barnabas mostly dropped out of the picture. But here, he's a critical part of the meeting in Jerusalem, together with Titus. So that's how important Titus was to Paul, right? Paul wanted Titus and Barnabas to be there, those two. Okay, now, Linda, please read verse 3. 
But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Thank you. Okay, so now we begin to see a little more about why Titus was asked. It wasn't only that he was Paul's right-hand man. He was a Greek who had not been circumcised. Remember, Timothy was circumcised. Titus never was, okay? And yet, he was critical to Paul's ministry and outreach, right? And so Paul is using him there in Jerusalem, this big meeting, which is so dependent on uh, the resolution of the conflict over uh, the Jewish law and whether it is to be applied to the Gentiles, right? Circumcision being a key part of it. So he says, uh, Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was uh, not compelled to be circumcised. Okay, so there was a resolution. That's pretty significant, isn't it? Okay, now finally, and this is, uh, well, not quite finally, but uh, Patty, <laughs> this is, I think, the only verse where one could claim, I guess, uh, that uh, Titus had been a disappointment to Paul. But uh, would you read that for us, please? For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. Presence to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Well, they had gone off for ministry, I'm sure. Well, I hope. But uh, Titus to Dalmatia. Uh, so we don't know whether Paul was disappointed with Titus there at the end of his life. In these last words, Demas certainly was a disappointment to Paul. But for Crescens and Titus, I do not know. But they weren't with him. They weren't with him when he wished that they were. Okay, so here we've seen by looking at Paul's letters, all the references to Titus, uh, how Paul viewed Titus. He was a significant person to the Apostle Paul, as significant as Timothy in certain ways, mentioned accordingly in Paul's letters often in such exalted terms that we, we cannot uh, minimize Paul's esteem for this man, Tim Titus. And uh, there are only three people in the, Paul's letters called sons in the faith. Three, three are Timothy, Titus, and Onesimus. <laughs> okay, interesting, huh? Only those three are called Paul's sons in the faith. Now, he led many others to Christ, but he doesn't write about them that directly. Okay, so as I said before, it's pretty significant um, that Paul has those around him, such as Timothy, such as Titus, and, and others, really probably a number of others, who he can trust. He can trust with everything. He just sends them off 
into the hinterland, really, to minister to the believers. And he doesn't consider there's a risk in that. You would think the risks would be very great. He does warn them on occasion, and certainly the letter to Titus will be full of warnings. Warnings concerning the ministry and how there are those that would demean it and destroy it, in fact. And Titus needs to be like Timothy, and we saw that in his letters, but needs to be always on the alert. Now, these are just simply Paul saying, take note, this is what you're getting yourself into here when you accept my command to go forth, right? All right, let's go down to the last part here. Titus is commanded to lead the believers in Crete on the island of Crete, to lead them. And he's been doing it, but Paul asked him to keep on doing it. Okay, so Tom, would you read that for us, please? Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. For this cause, I left thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I have appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, nor given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince gainsayers. Uh, my. Thank you, Tom. What a statement. I think we'll probably have to start there next time to review this in more detail. But there are things there that you, you might say, well, wait a minute now. Is Titus going to be able to find any? Who can fulfill this? Remember, these believers are mostly Gentiles. Who knows what they were caught up in beforehand, right? Um, but uh, he says uh, there's a list of requirements to be uh, in that high position of oversight over the churches, right? He's not talking only about those that would be pastors and teachers and so forth, but those that would be overseeing maybe a number of churches or whatever. So really, Paul is putting into place here the structure of management. Titus is responsible to carry it out. He says the person chosen needs to be blameless. Now, that does not mean sinless, okay? Blameless means no cause, no legitimate cause of failure may be of significant, really, failure be brought against the person. 
So blameless in that sense. Husband of one wife. <laughs> well, I think it's pretty clear what that means. Uh, but it's more than bigamy or whatever uh, that he's referring to here. I think he's talking about, a, in fact, we could translate it a one wifed sort of man. Okay, so you know what that means. The children are to be faithful. They're going to cause lots of conflict and division in the churches. The, the children of these who are overseeing are themselves troublemakers. Okay. Okay, so then he uses the language steward of God, of God. It makes a long list of things that we, I guess we would find to be pretty easily understood, right? Not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, good things, uh, not evil, sober, just, holy, temperate. Okay, then it gets, we get down to the last one, which is really most significant because this provides the umbrella over everything. He says, holding fast while. So you're doing all the, these things while expecting the leaders that are appointed to be all along holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught. Okay. Um, I think we'll start there la uh, next time because I, I want to make an emphasis on the words we find here, sound doctrine, the faithful words, those are important terms, right? There's healthy doctrine and there's unhealthy doctrine. Paul's talking here about healthy doctrine and the faithful word. Interesting. Okay. So was this risky for Paul to expect so much of Titus? I don't think so. I think he had a lot of confidence in the Lord, right? In the Lord. All right, let's uh, stop there. You see how directly applicable this letter is to our current day and to any day, really, in the life of the church. So are the churches being managed in this way today? Well, many are, I'm sure. Most of those you may not know anything about, um, that God knows, and uh, many are not. Those would be more obvious and visible. Okay, so we see failure everywhere in regard to these particular principles that Paul lays down here in his first letter to Titus. Well, I hope after our introduction you have a, a good sense of who Titus is, not referenced anywhere in the book of Acts, but here in Paul's letters 13 times. Now, if we would look at those around us in such exalted terms as this, it would change our view of things. If we would think of others as the instruments of 
the Lord God and uh, the uh, the instruments, the means that God uses to bring the faith to others, right? If that's how we saw each other and we were always encouraging, uh, as Paul did here with not only Titus, but uh, all those that Titus reached out to, right? If that's the way we ministered ourselves in our own outreach and had such a positive view of how God was working would change our attitude, wouldn't it? So praise God for his grace and its abundance and this faithful word and the healthy doctrine that he mentions here in verse number nine. So praise the Lord. Thanks uh, to all of you. But we could meet today, the Lord enabled. And uh, hope you all enjoy the Lord and have a great day. Any uh, questions or comments before we close? Okay. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for gathering us. It's been a blessing. As always, it's been a blessing, Heavenly Father. Father, we just uh, pray for the group, each one individually, knowing that you're working your marvelous work in and through us. Thank you for the word of grace, which is able always to transform us, to give us a a song of praise and uh, rejoicing, Father. And uh, we just thank you for this time this morning. And for the great blessing of it, in Christ's name, and amen. Amen.